<clears throat> well, it's good to be back. <laughs> we had a, uh, a nice vacation, so we feel rested, and I hope everyone had a great week, um, weekend, weekend. Probably not as great as ours, because there was lots of water and seafood and food and all sorts of fun things to do. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll uh, get started. <clears throat> Almighty and merciful God, it is only by your grace that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> now, many of you might not know this, but many of you do. <laughs> that right after high school, I went to a, uh, I attended a Bible college. Now, this Bible college was a rather large college. It was part of a large, prominent church. Um, many of you may know who that is, the church, but again, I'm not going to mention names or anything like that. We're just going to keep that all secretive. You can talk to me afterwards if you like. <laughs> uh, but this church, again, is, it was rather large in terms of size uh, of building and members. So there was lots of people that attended there. Uh, the pastor was actually on celebrity status, um, if you know what what that is. So he was he was seen as a, as a great televangelist. He was seen on TV and, and you know, different conferences. He's wrote many books and, and this, that, and the other. But a few of the things that I remember about uh, my experience there um, was how the students were told to stand at attention as he would walk into the dorms. Uh, another thing I remember um, was walking down the aisle or walking down a hallway at the church, and he was walking through with his entourage, and you had to scoot to the side and stand at attention, kind of like he was a, a great general or military uh, leader. I, however, did not do these things because I was a kind of a rebel. So that's why Jim and I fit so well. He's a cowboy and I'm a rebel. <laughs> but there's, there's one thing that I do remember distinctly um, about this uh, experience, this time that I had at this Bible college, is... Um, so we were, we were told, when we had a dress code, you had to wear a shirt and tie, and you had to look uh, business professional in a sense. So I had finally got a nice snazzy suit. I remember the color. It was navy blue. And I remember the very day specifically, I had a white shirt on, this navy blue suit, not too much further than navy blue pants. I mean, come on. <laughs> it, didn't, <laughs> it didn't deviate from the color here. Um, but, uh, you know, nice dress shoes. So I, I looked nice. I, I, was, I was ready to go to church. Right? I was snazzy looking in Bible college terms. But I remember walking into the service and going to my normal seat, which was the fire aisle, was what we called it, but it was a widened aisle so that multiple people could get through at one time in case they needed to evacuate or just rush out of there uh, to hit the Applebee's. But I I was going there because I normally sat there and that's where we would go and stand and do our little Pentecostal two-step. And if you need to know what that looks like, I've got YouTube videos already uh, already on cue for you, so see me again after service for that. But there, an, an usher had come up to me and he said, "He said, wow, you look really nice today." I was like, "Well, thank you, I appreciate that. You know, good, good compliment." He said, "Hey, come 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 with me." And I was like, "Why?" <laughs> so I didn't know if I should take my Bible and my stuff, but I, I did. He said, bring, out, bring all your stuff. So he took me from what we would, you know, you would probably consider cheap seats on down to the very front um, 
of the congregation, the very front of the church, where you could see that you know the raised platform, the stage that they had, where the choir would be, and the people singing, and this that. Um, and it was right there close with the elders and the pastor of the church. So you were right there. You could be seen by all of these these people. So in my mind, I thought I had finally made it, right? I, I got the seats at the 50-yard line. I got the, the, it, the, these were the seats that you would be, get like if you were behind home plate. These were the close seats. These were the ones that were coveted among everybody. You know, if you were a Bible college kid and you made it there, you were like, you made it. You arrived. You're right there. You know, you're... You can get spit on by the pastor. That's holy anointing, apparently. <clears throat> but I also remember how many of these young men and women, they would just kind of walk in and they would march their way right down there and set their stuff down and sit and wait for service. And the usher would come down and say, nope, you need to sit out here. So they were looking for specific people to come and sit and fill these rows because there was a television broadcast. They wanted you know, the people that looked nice, that had the nice clothes on, that had the... the uh, the the church look, if you will, right? They so these these people they would you know they were wearing the best suits. They'd walk up to the front and they would assume their position among the pastors and elder um, of that church, and then they would get escorted back to the cheap seats. <laughs> now, obviously, I don't know the 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 hearts of these people, right? I don't assume um, that they had you know this lofty status or that they you know felt that they assumed this status or not. But it was as if they, their religious works, because of their religious works, they felt that they could make their way down to the very front and, and be seen by all of these, um, by all these people. But I can tell you from today's text, we're going to see just how prideful the human heart truly is. And we really don't have to look too far, right, to, to see the wretched state of, of humanity. You turn on the news and you can see exactly what's taking place. You know, what happened in Dayton, what happened in El Paso, just the, the sinfulness of humanity coming, um, coming to the surface. In today's text, though, we, um, because we're prone to be proud, we're going to see how we use our religious works and our earthly or religious positions or people to build up our pride, to build up ourselves and make ourselves look good. So because of that, because we are Christians then, we know that we need to take an offensive position to live humbly before the Lord. We need to kill our pride. Pride comes before a fall. The pride is something that the entirety of humanity does fight and struggle with. Right? It's, a, it's a lifelong battle. J.I. Packer said this, Pride in the heart is a lifelong battle. <laughs> He would know. I mean, he's lived such a long life, right? But if you take a look with me at verses 1 through 6, you're going to see how we have pride, or how these Pharisees had pride in their religious works, and we're not much different. We're always trying to check that box. So follow uh, with me here, 1 through 6. One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, They were watching him carefully. Notice that. They were watching Christ carefully. They were watching his actions. They were watching what he would do. They were watching him carefully. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, 
Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen in a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So again, we come across this instance in Scripture where Jesus is invited into a Pharisee's home for a meal. As was the custom for that day, they would have this big meal on the Sabbath day. It was a huge spread, and it was probably prepared on the day beforehand because of their strict, uh, their strict uh, Sabbath keeping. He's not, Jesus isn't a stranger to be invited into these prominent leaders' home. Again, we see throughout Luke, and we see throughout the New Testament where he's invited in, and he's, he's sitting amongst these leaders, and he's teaching them, and he's coming against their, uh, re- their religious works. But we also see him healing on the Sabbath in multiple occasions. Now, the, the Pharisees, they believed, as most in that day, that their strict adherence to the law would save them. And, and they weren't far off. Because in the time of Christ, it was still time of the Mosaic Covenant where they still made sacrifices. They still had to keep uh, the feasts. right? But the, the, the Pharisees, they would go above and beyond that by adding more and more and more to it. <clears throat> but we see, uh, we see that they'll, they'll have strict Sabbath keeping. And this is what they thought would help to give them uh, greater favor uh, with, Lord, with God by keeping these, these strict rules. But Jesus, see, he already knew something. He already knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was going to happen, what was going to take place. And he knew that, that in an instance, this was some kind of a trap to try to get Christ to do something that he shouldn't quote-unquote, do. And he knew that this man that had dropsy, and if you're not familiar with that, it's just simply a condition where there's excess fluid that gathers um, in various parts of the body and causes you to look bloated in some way. But he knew that this was an event, an event in order to catch Jesus doing something. Right? The Pharisees and the lawyers, they both understood that if they touched this man, then he, they would be unclean and would not be able to partake in the Sabbath events. But listen to Jesus' response here. He questions them. He says in verse 3, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Again, Jesus knows that they're go- what they're going to say. And yet the next verse says the Pharisees and the lawyers remained silent. They couldn't say anything to him. They didn't. They knew. And Jesus healed them anyway, in spite of the Pharisees and the lawyers. So what Jesus was asking in a sense here, he's asking for a specific location within the Hebrew Scriptures that says, you know, is there something against the law in healing someone on the Sabbath? Is, there, is, there against, is it against the law to do a work of compassion and mercy on a day that is specifically um, geared towards um, honoring the Lord? Like the Lord's Day. We still have these people today who are strict Sabbatarians, who strictly hold to you know, the Sabbath day, not doing anything, making sure that they're resting in, the, in those days. In fact, there's even settings because of you know, the, the Judea, Judaic views that are still around today. There's settings on your refrigerator and your ovens, at least there is on mine, that is a Sabbath day setting that you can click it and it apparently shuts off the power to it, which makes no sense to me. Just don't use it. Anyhow. <clears throat> Excuse me, but how many times do we, as Christians, we still do this today? 
become unsatisfied with being saved by grace alone, or, and, and then we move back into our proclivities and, and adding to our own religious works. Right? Adding to our salvation. Because we believe ultimately that we must check boxes in order to be saved. You can ask my wife about that one. She struggles with that day in and day out. She is getting better. I'm happy to report. <laughs> but see, this is no difference. <laughs> this is no difference than the religious of Christ's day who were living under the law. They would add to in excess to the rules that were required for them in the covenant, in the Mosaic covenant. But Jesus, again, he, he questions them. He does another question. I love it. He asked them <clears throat> that if they had a son or an ox that fell into a well on the Sabbath, if they wouldn't immediately pull them out. I asked myself that too. <laughs> if I had a son that fell into a well, would I immediately pull him out? Depends on which one. <laughs> but they had no answer. They couldn't answer Jesus. They knew somewhere deep down in their hearts that Christ was right. That they, that they would rescue their, one of their beloved sons. Or they would rescue a random farm animal that had fallen into a well. Because these are works of mercy and compassion. Right? <clears throat> They, they knew that in an emergency they would find some way to justify rescuing their sons or, or, or farm animals. The, fan, the Pharisees are, once again, they're ensnared by their inconsistencies in their interpretation of the law of God. Their legalism was preventing them from showing that uh, the mercy that God shows to us and that Christ showed to the sick of his day when he healed on the Sabbath. I think we have to ask ourselves if we're willing to do acts of mercy and compassion on, um, on the days that we deem important. Are we, are we willing to, on, on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, to rest in Christ, but to also see someone who's hurting or, or that needs taken care of? Should we, should we do works for them? Should we take care of those people? What about, what about the widow next door to me that you know, maybe needs her lawn mowed and it's going to be hot? Should I just go ahead and mow her lawn too? Is that a work of mercy and compassion? Now, the widow next door to me gets people to come and mow her lawn. So I would do it for free because apparently I like mowing the lawn now. <clears throat> but these are the things that we must consider, right? We do things in order... Uh, not in order to check a box. Right? We don't serve our neighbor to just check a box. We serve them out of compassion and mercy towards our fellow man. Right? The imago Dei, the image of God. That is why we do the things that we do. That's why we have compassion and mercy. That's why Christ had compassion and mercy. They were the image bearers of God. J.C. Ryle said this um, in his commentary over Luke. He said, The Sabbath was made for man, for his benefit, not for his energy. And injury, I agree. For his advantage, not for his hurt. The interpretation of God's law respecting the Sabbath was never intended to be strained so far as to interfere with charity, kindness, and the real wants of human nature. Amen. I see it was in their own pride and arrogance in their religious works 
that the Pharisees and these lawyers would not do a work of compassion and mercy for this man. Right? But while this is happening, Jesus notices something as well that's taking place during this time. He sees how, um, he, he notices rather how these people were gathering for this dinner party, for, for this wedding feast, um, as the ESV puts it. He knows how they were seating themselves. So our pride in our positions, basically our self-promotion, they only lead to shame, as Jesus points out. And that, and that pride could be religious pride or it can be earthly pride, right? It could be pr- pride or positional, pride in our earthly position or our religious position. So follow along with me here uh, through 7 and 11. <clears throat> now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, <coughs> excuse me, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Excuse me. <clears throat> Come back from vacation and get a cold. <laughs> now, oftentimes, due to our pride, uh, the pride in our own hearts, we will assume that we are more deserving, right? We're in a more deserving position than someone else. We'll, we, we feel that we deserve to be seen because we have some sort of gift to offer someone or because we feel that we are overly special in some way. Now, hear me, we, we are special in the fact that we bear the image of God, but special in the sense of what I'm talking about here as if, think back to the, the Bible college experience. Right, there, were, there were some that thought, you know, hey, I might be the next best preacher, the next big thing, or the, the next uh, great evangelist. Right, I might be the next megachurch pastor. There was this, this was some of the reasoning of these young men and women that would walk up to these front sections and just kind of assume their position among the pastor and the elder as if they had some great gift to offer the church or that they had some sort of high calling. Now, that's not to say that everyone was like this. Again, I, I still have some really good friends that I attended college with, Bible college with, that I still talk to today. And, and I enjoy um, hearing what they have to say about certain things, and, and they'll ask me questions, and I'll ask them questions. So uh, there, there are some really good relationships that did come about from, from that, that time there. <clears throat> but, ha- however, I want us to see this. I want us to see that we have this proclivity as human beings to use our positions, whether they're earthly or religious, to build our pride, much like the Pharisees, right? We use them as building blocks to build up our own pedestals, to promote ourselves, if you will. It's much like a resume, right? When you go into a work, when you go into a job interview, you hand them this resume, and it's basically a list of your credentials, of, of things that you've done, accomplishments, places you've worked, just to sell yourself to make yourself look better than the next candidate. <clears throat> That's why I always feel like I'm lying on, on a resume. 
<laughs> but we, we see here where this will only lead to shame and humiliation, our, our promotion of our religious positions. The folks that were invited to this wedding feast, they were just seating themselves. More than likely, they were ignoring any sort of uh, seating arrangements that may be assigned to them. They were assuming that their position should give them a place of honor at this feast. You don't go in and just sit right in the front row because you think that you're, you know, the man, and that's where you belong, right? <coughs> that's usually reserved for family. Same at the reception. You usually, you know, there's, there's seating arrangements. You don't just go and sit right by up front near them or assume a position with the bridal party because, well, I'm the man. I need to be there. But consider in Luke 11, when Jesus pronounces the woes to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Since this, uh, this too was coming at a time where Jesus was dining with, with them. Since in verse 43, Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. See, the Pharisees assumed that they deserved the best seats because of their religious positions, because they were strict adherence, had strict adherence to the law. They loved being recognized by those that were in the synagogues. I can actually picture these guys now. They were the ones in the fancy suits that were walking in, or the fancy clothing that were walking in and just dressed as if they could be seen on a television broadcast. While the lonely that were in statue were relegated to the cheap seats, (laughs) to the nosebleeds, the $5 tickets. Hey, at least you're there, right? It doesn't matter how much you pay for the ticket, you're there. But see, when we assume ourselves as being greater than what we really are, then we are taken from this place of honor, right? and we're told to take our right spot in the lowest place. Proverbs 29.23 says it best. A man's pride shall bring him low. This is true. Again, I saw it firsthand. <laughs> the students escorted by the ushers from the front seats back, behind, even behind me. They didn't even get the seat at the fire aisle to do the Pentecostal two-step. But what a place of humiliation this is, right? Everyone's eyes were fixed on these students as they were being removed. The same in this passage. I can, I can see it right now. that they're, they're going in, they're sitting down, they're sitting up at the front near, near this wedding feast, and gathering, and the people are taking them out, and people are just looking at them like, who, who do you think you are? coming in here and sitting down and just assuming that you are better than everyone else. There's a principle that we need to catch here. This is not how the kingdom works. The only way up is down in in, in the kingdom. We don't just go in and assume our role is something great. We're not going to be seated next to the right hand, right? We see this posture in Proverbs where Solomon says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put put lower in the presence of a noble. It's Proverbs 25, 6-7 if you are taking notes. See, we're to go ahead and assume our position in the lowest place, which is a position of humility. Not assuming that we are special in any way, shape, or form but to consider others better than ourselves. See, it's when, it's when we are in the lowest place, it's when we are humbled, that we are told to come up here. 
If we consider the words of Peter, he says it this way. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And those are comforting words to us, right? That Christ will exalt us if we are humble. But again, our religious works, our self-promotion, and our pride in our earthly religious positions, they do not bring true humility. They only bring shame. And the life of a Christian is not about self-promotion, but about self-denial. It's about taking up your cross and following Christ. Again, the only way up is down. And that's a kingdom principle that we, that we see throughout Scripture. Living a, a, a humble life. So if that's the case, then, then Christians, we should be killing our pride. So if you follow along with me here in 12 through 14, we kind of will see in a way of how, of how we are humbled, of how we remain um, humble, of how we kill our pride. And it's remembering our position at the lowest place. Remembering who we are and where we come from and how and remembering why Christ chose us. He said also to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Oh, Jesus, he's just interacted with the leader of the Pharisees. He turns to the guests at the dinner party and interacts with them. And then he turns back again and he's interacting again with, with the, the Pharisee, with this leader. Right? He, he tells him which guests he should invite, invite. Now, this is not obviously a lesson in moralism. Jesus is not trying to tell him, you know, who, who you should, who you should pick, right? Jesus is teaching him and us, that out of our own pride, we may be hospitable to those that can repay us back. We can use people to, to lift ourselves up on a pedestal and make ourselves look good. Like, if I invite, where is it at? My rich neighbors. I don't know if I have any, but if I invite my rich neighbors, they can invite me back and I can make myself look good because look at, look at the people I accompany, look at the people that follow me and, and hang out with me and spend time with me. Now, if you invite your relatives over for dinner, don't continue to do that. Even if they don't invite you back. But you see the point that's being made here. Jesus tells the Pharisee that when a feast is given, that the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind should be invited, rather than friends, brothers, relatives, or rich neighbors. Because the latter, those people that are able to, will invite them back to their dinner party, to this great banquet. But in a sense, Jesus is saying that if, when we invite the least of these, that um, it should be out of a position of a humble heart. We're inviting, we're inviting the, uh, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind out of a humility because we don't expect anything in return because they're the least of these. Right? They have no pride in their religious position. Or the religious works. So therefore, 
they have nothing to offer. There's, there's no proud boasting that's taking place. You see, the, the kingdom principle is at work here also in, in the letter of, uh, of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. When he says for this, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The very reason these people are chosen to be a part of this kingdom, part of this dinner party, was not because of some great value that these guests would bestow on the hosts, but it was out of a humiliated state. So boasting couldn't take place. So then we, we, then we need to grasp that we are what is foolish and despised in this world. We are of the foolish and despised things in this world. We need to understand that uh, we have to take an offensive position to killing our pride. And this helps us, knowing where we come from. Because it's out of this position then that we have, uh, will be exalted by God. Because He's the one that says to us, Friend, move up higher. He is the one who ushers us into that better seat. Right? And this is truly humbling, knowing that it is not because of any great thing that, that we have done or that I have done, right? But it's based solely upon the wonderful counsel of God's will. And that is comforting. That is freeing. And that those who are of lowly stature, we can be considered guests at, at the table. And we can partake in the Lord's Supper. See, by understanding that, by understanding it's not because of who we are, our position, or our status. Right? It, once we understand our, our pride in our religious works and our positions and our, our self-promotion, they get us nowhere. Right? It, it helps us to put us into that position of humility to kill our pride and live humbly before God. I think that's something that we need to consider as we, as we close and, and, and partake of the Lord's Supper is, is our humble state of Him inviting the lowest of the low to His table to feast with Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Lord, we come before You, God, as, as just uh, humble people. Lord, we thank You and that you teach us day in and day out how to be humble and how to um, treat others as we would want to be treated. God, how we... Um, Lord, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for the work of Christ that it's through that that we can learn what humility truly looks like, Lord. And I pray that as this uh, message went out, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to work on the hearts and the minds of your people and to... Bring them to that state, Lord, and help us to remember that we are of the foolish and despised things in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.